We are on lesson seven of our summer quarter. Lesson seven. You're an overachiever. <laughs> no. No, we didn't. Yeah, you overachiever you. Anyway, we're on lesson seven. It's entitled The Watchman. And the uh, scriptures covered will be Ezekiel chapters 33 through 36. So, Lord, we, we thank you for this uh, book of Ezekiel. Uh, much of Ezekiel's prophecies came to pass. He prophesied some things that have yet to come to pass. But what did come to pass came to pass absolutely, literally, as he said they would. And so we have confidence in your word that it is true that you predict the future. And so as we look at this, we begin a section where Ezekiel is going to prophesy the restoration of Israel after the Babylonian conquest. And that is uh, that happened, and it is still happening, even today. So we know that we can trust you. And we ask for your Holy Spirit to enlighten us as we uh, look at this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the first section is uh, section A, and it's Ezekiel's call is renewed. That is chapter 33, verses 1 through 11. How about our, I'll start off reading that one. Sound good? So I just want to make a comment. Now, Ezekiel is divided up into three major se sections. And this is the beginning of the third section. We've covered the first section was chapters 1 through 24, and that is judgment on Judah. Then chapters 25 through 32, which we just finished last week, was judgment on the nations. And... Uh, so Ezekiel prophesied against the nations surrounding Israel on all sides. And we finished with Egypt last week. This section, which is 33 to the end of the book, chapter 48, is Ezekiel prophesy, prophesying about the restoration of Israel, which would be in accordance with the Abrahamic covenant. So anyway, section A is Ezekiel's call is renewed. Chapter 33, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the sons of your people and say to them, If I bring a sword upon the land, and the people of the land take one man from among them and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows on the trumpet and warns the people. Let me start over. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the sons of your people, and say to them, If I bring a sword upon a land, and the people of the land take one man from among them, and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming upon the land, and blows on the trumpet, and warns the people, then he who hears the sound of the trumpet, and does not take warning, and a sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head." He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood will be on himself. But had he taken warning, he would have delivered his life. 
But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and a sword comes and takes a person from them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. Now as for you, son of man, I have appointed you a watchman for the house of Israel, so you will hear a message from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from your hand. But if you on your part warn a wicked man to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he will die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your life. Now as for you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you have spoken, saying, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we are rotting away in them. How then can we survive? Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? So does this sound familiar to you? This is a recommissioning of Ezekiel, remember? So Ezekiel's ministry of judgment on Judah um, is completed. He is now recommissioned. The call is still to adherence to the Mosaic law, but now the emphasis is on Israel's restoration. So there's something different in this passage. That's the response of the people. Did you pick that up? That's in verse 10. Now as for you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you have spoken, saying, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we are rotting away in them. They did not say that before. Okay? It's starting to dawn on them that sin is killing them. It's starting to, you know, and that's what we need. That's what we need as people. We need to realize that our sin is killing us, <laughs> you know? Otherwise, we don't want help unless we realize that our sin is killing us. So, um, so in uh, verses 1 through 5, Ezekiel is given an example of a man who hears and does not heed the warning. Okay? God is saying that if I bring a sword upon the land, so judgment is coming, and I appoint one man from among them as a watchman. Okay? Would you say that we are watchmen? Yeah. I would say that we are watchmen too, you know, because we, you know, who are in Christ... We who uh, know the prophecies of the Bible and see what is going on around us can warn people. Trouble is coming. You know, trouble is here already, but worse trouble is coming. And we can warn people, and that is a motive for people to be saved. So, yeah, we can be a watchman if we're willing, and it's, it can be scary to do this, to warn people about what is coming because, you know, people will tend to think you're nutty, you're crazy. <laughs> uh, 
something like that, and they they will resist it. But um, you know that that is part of our job. Remember, we're ambassadors for Christ. That's our job here as the church, and we want to reason with the unbelieving that they be reconciled to God. So anyway, this uh, uh, watchman, he sees the sword coming and blows the trumpet. He warns the people. So if he warns them and they don't listen, they will die in their iniquity. So in this context, it's about Babylon and the coming siege of Judah and really the surrounding nations too. Babylon was a juggernaut, and they took over a lot of things at this time. And the sinful, God warned, would die in that invasion. And if they heard the warning and they didn't do anything about it, well, that's their fault. But if the watchman knew what was happening and did not warn, and this is exactly what we heard back in chapter 3, of this book in his first commissioning. If he knows, but he doesn't tell the people, they will die in their sin. But Ezekiel would be guilty of murder. Their blood would be on his head because he didn't warn them, you know. So we want to warn people too. Yeah, so that's through verse 6. So is there anyone you know that you have not presented the gospel to? <laughs> That's a leading question. Just think about it. <laughs> Nobody has to say, yeah, I know. Um, some people are intimidating. I don't know about you, but I frequently get intimidated when I'm tempted. When I want to share the gospel, I'm intimidated. And why is that? Why? Yeah. What are, what are we afraid of? We're afraid they won't like us. We're afraid they won't like us. They're, you know, that they'll... Yeah. Well, that's why that's why we're intimidated. But, you know, the Lord tells us to do it anyway. And he will He will bless us for doing that. So, um, right. You know, think about what happens to them without that. Where, what is happening to them? Right? And they, their end point is the lake of fire, which we don't want for anybody. We do not want that for anybody. That is their end point. If they die without the Savior, they will spend an unknown, an unknown time in Hades, in the intermediate state, where they're tormented. And then they'll be resurrected and judged and put in the lake of fire. So um, even our worst enemies, we do not want that to happen to them. And so we must tell people about the gospel. We need to just become a habit of slipping it in, you know, when we talk to people. Yeah, just slip it in there someplace. <laughs> you know, slip it in. The gospel is so simple, it's pretty easy to slip in. You know, believe on Jesus and you'll be saved. Acts 16.31. And um, you have to believe in the right Jesus. You have to believe in the Jesus who is the God-man who died on a cross for our sins, was buried and resurrected. Um, there are false Jesuses out there. You know, the, the Mormons proclaim and the, the Jehovah's Witnesses proclaim also. 
they will not save you. The God-man will save you. So then, verse 10, Yeah, now as for you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you have spoken, saying, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we are rotting away in them. How then can we survive? That is where you want people. And that is what the Lord does to you as a human. He makes things tough on you. <laughs> he puts you into situations where you, you think, I can't escape. I'm in trouble. <laughs> you know, things are bad. And uh, he does that on purpose. He does that on purpose because he wants you to understand uh, that you need him. And God will always offer forgiveness to those who come to him. He has promised that. There is no sin that you can do that he will say, nope, that's too bad. That, that one goes too far. There's no sin that is like that. The only sin that is like that is the failure to believe. And that's your own choice then, you know, because he cajoles you all your life that you need Jesus, and if you just refuse to believe it, well, he says, okay, you can have your own way. So anything else about that section? We do know that. We know that suicide will not send you to hell. Unbelief sends you to hell. If you're a saved person and you, you know, you people commit suicide because they get caught up in sin. Can you get caught up in sin as a believer? Of course you can. Right, so they commit suicide. Well, that is a sin. Is suicide a sin? Yes. <laughs> suicide is murder of yourself. That's a sin. Um, that does not send you to hell. If, if you are, you know, a carnal believer that commits suicide, you will go to heaven. Will, you will lose some reward because reward comes from faithfulness in this life after your salvation. Suicide is not faithfulness. That is not faithfulness. And you will lose some rewards based on that. And I don't know how many you'll lose, but yeah, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit was a very specific sin for the nation of Israel because they were presented and all sorts of prophecies were coming together in first century Israel. To, for them to understand, if they're reading their Bible without the Talmud, without the Mishnah, just the Bible, they would understand that, my goodness, this is the Messiah, <laughs> you know, and they would have enthroned him. When they refused him, that was blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which would never be forgiven. But the corollary in our day, and this is the corollary all through history, is failure to believe in the seed of the woman that was prophesied in Genesis 3.15. Uh, that, that can mean physical death. Physical death, yeah. So um, a lot of people will say that. They're not reading the Bible. <laughs> or they're, you know, they're reading the Bible with an overlay of Calvinism or an overlay of Arminianism. And so they're reading the Bible through that, and they're trying to make the Bible fit those schemes. 
if you just read the Bible, you learn that that is not the case. I mean, there's many places, many passages that tell you that. And, you know, one of the passages is John 10, I think it's 28 and 29. It says that Jesus' sheep are in his hand. No one can take him out of his hand or the Father's hand. So two, yeah, so two omnipotent, well, they're one God, you know, that's another discussion, but they can't be taken out of his hand. No one can take them out of his hand. Well, who is no one? Are you someone? Yes, you're someone. You can't take yourself out of his hand once you believe. You're locked. You're locked in. Um, you can lose reward. That's why we want to be good disciples. But you can't lose your salvation. Okay, B is God's justice is declared. That is verses 12 through 20. Can I get a reader for that? Okay. Okay, thank you, ma'am. Yeah, so basically this section is uh, essentially the same as the sour grapes parable we went through a while ago in chapter 18. So Ezekiel is now repeating it for the survivors in Babylon. Because remember, Jerusalem has fallen. Jerusalem has fallen at this point. So the survivors in Babylon, he's repeating this to. Yeah, so verse 13, When I say to the righteous, he will surely live, and look what the righteous man does. And he so trusts in his righteousness that he commits iniquity. What's that? What is that? Yeah. That is self-righteousness, isn't it? So he trusts not in the Lord, he trusts in his own righteousness. That's what the problem the Pharisees were having. That he And that is a sin itself, so that he commits iniquity. None of his righteous deeds will be remembered, but in that same iniquity of his which he has committed, he will die. So if you're so righteous that you think you're righteous, you're going to die. <laughs> That's scary, isn't it? You know, because that makes you think of your motive for things. The Lord judges your motives, which always frightened me, because, you know, what I, I don't even know my own motives a lot of the time for doing things. <laughs> so you just have to trust the Lord, you know, and leave it up to Him. It, yeah, it results from a misunderstanding of righteousness. What What is righteousness? How would you define righteousness? Being right with God. Okay. Full of truth. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In short accounts, because um, we're all a work in progress, right? That's why we need First John 1 9, because we will sin. We need to confess to the Lord that, yes, I agree with you, that was sin. And He restores us. But righteousness is not like a bank account. We think of it that way, you know. They, that's what they were doing. They are thinking of it that way. It's not a bank account. Well, you fill it up, you know, you have a, a reservoir. Righteousness is fellowship with the Lord. You're either in fellowship with the Lord or you're out of fellowship with the Lord. And that's a moment-by-moment -moment thing. And so the, the guy who he was in fellowship with the Lord, but then he started to trust in his goodness, in his own goodness. 
we don't have any inherent goodness. You know, goodness comes from fellowship with the Lord. And so when he does that, he goes out of fellowship with the Lord and he goes into sin. So that I think that's the correct way to think of righteousness. Righteousness is when you're in fellowship with the Lord as, you know, you believe in him and you're submitted to him, you're yielding to his commands, you have fellowship moment by moment. It is not stirred up. That's practical righteousness. Okay. Um, we have positional righteousness, which is a fact. It is just a simple fact about us. When we believe in Jesus, we're locked into a heavenly destination. You know, we are counted as one of his, and he will take us to heaven. That is positional. It is something that we cannot mess up. And uh, But practical righteousness just means you're in fellowship with the Lord at that time. We, have, we all have the ability to go out of fellowship. So verse 15, If a wicked man restores a pledge, pays back what he has taken by robbery, walks by the statutes which ensure life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live. He shall not die. So again, righteousness uh, is, a, is protective of physical life. And repentance may include restitution. The wicked man restores the pledge. He pays back what he's taken by robbery. You know, when I turned to the Lord, I had some restitution to do at first. You know, I, I was a scumbag. <laughs> and, you know, this is when I was in my fellowship. And I had essentially stolen one of my friend's books. I took it home. I thought, oh, that looks nice. He left it laying around. I took it. And uh, so I had to, I said, hey, Ed, here's your, here's your book. <laughs> I took that. Yeah. And, and several things like that, you know. So restitution is involved in repentance. If, if you can pay it back. There's some things you cannot pay back. You know, usually that's due to a theft is something like that. And, uh, but repentance doesn't include restitution if it's possible. So, but this man, verse 16, you know, he, he was a scumbag, but he realized that his sins were causing him to rot and he turned back and he did what he could to make things right. It says none of his sins that he has committed will be remembered against him. He has practiced justice and righteousness, and he shall surely live. And so the exiles that your fellow citizens say the way of the Lord is not right. It's not right that this guy be let off, you know, who has repented. That's not right. He should, you know, get it. That is not how the Lord works. The Lord works by grace. Thank goodness for us. So verse 20, Yet you say the way of the Lord is not right, O house of Israel. I will judge each of you according to his ways. So the Lord will judge each one. You know, we talked about this a lot in that seven sour grapes parable lesson. The Lord will judge us as believers for reward. That's at the Bema Seat Judgment. 
The things that we have done out of faith and trust in the Lord, he will reward. The things that were done out of self-righteousness, for example, or our own ideas or things like that, and the sinful things will not be rewarded. For the unbelieving, the good that they think they have done will be ignored because they're there for the sentencing portion of their trial. And the judge, when you know, you can be the, the very good donor to Greenpeace. When you commit a crime and you go before a judge, that will be ignored. It is your crime that is being judged at that time. So unbelievers will stand before the Lord at the great white throne and they will be judged for their sin. And they will be punished accordingly. That's in the lake of fire. So every single person will have a judgment uh, sometime. And I'm thankful that ours is for reward. And I want a good uh, judgment <laughs> at that time. So anything about that? Right. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, our, our sin has already been judged. The moment we believed, we were we were joined with Christ. Yep. And his death paid for our sins. So that's so that's why it's legally good. It's legally good. It's just for us not to be judged for our sins later. Because Jesus already was judged. So section C is Jerusalem's fall is announced. Um you know in the last lesson we talked we talked about that, or I think it was in chapter 24, yeah. But that is verses 21 through 29. So verse 21, Now in the twelfth year of our exile, on the fifth of the tenth month, the refugees from Jerusalem came to me, saying, The city has been taken. Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me in the evening before the refugees came, and he opened my mouth at the time, they came to me in the morning, so my mouth was opened, and I was no longer speechless. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, they who live in these waste places in the land of Israel are saying, Abraham was only one, yet he possessed the land. So to us who are many, the land has been given as a possession. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord God, You eat meat with the blood in it. Lift up your eyes to your idols as you shed blood. Should you then possess the land? You rely on your sword, you commit abominations, and each of you defiles his neighbor's wife. Should you then possess the land? Thus you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, As I live, surely those who are in the waste places will fall by the sword. The waste places would be Jerusalem at this time. And whoever is in the open field, that's outside, I will give to the beasts to be devoured, and those who are in the strongholds and then in the caves will die of pestilence. So those are the ones who are hiding. I'll make the land a desolation and a waste, and the pride of her power will cease, and the mountains of Israel will be desolate so that no one will pass through. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I make the land a desolation and a waste because of all their abominations which they have committed. So this section, the next uh, two sections are... This section is prophecy. Yeah, it's directed to those who survived the Babylonian attack. 
in Jerusalem. The next section are to the exiles in Babylon. So he starts off with a date. Again, there's a lot of dates in Ezekiel. This is in the 12th year of our exile on the 5th of the 10th month. And in our calendar, that would be January 5th, 585 B.C. That's when he spoke this prophecy. This was when Ezekiel's muteness was released, so he could speak freely. Remember, earlier in the book, up to this point, he could only speak to prophesy. There's no chit-chat around the water cooler. Um, he also was locked in his house, except to do his little skits. He could come out to do his skits, lay on his side for a long time, <laughs> dig holes through dirt walls, stuff like that. Other than that, he had to stay in his house. So uh, the Lord put restrictions on Ezekiel, and that went on for seven years. For seven years, whenever he talked to his wife, he was prophesying to her. <laughs> Remember, at the end of that seven-year period, Ezekiel's wife died. And he was not to mourn for her. He was told by God, do not mourn for your wife. It says why. Because he was to be a sign to Israel when their temple was destroyed, which was their pride and joy. They were not, they were not going to mourn. So Ezekiel was a sign to Israel when his wife died, his pride and, you know, pride and joy. He was not to mourn her, and he did not. That's sad. Yeah, that's very sad. You'll have to ask him. <laughs> the, doesn't he say his ways are higher than our ways? And his thoughts than our thoughts? He, he has us do things that we don't understand. A lot of times. And other people, that's why people think we're crazy as Christians. You know, and you do things to, you do things that people think are harsh sometimes. And I've done that. And people think I'm crazy and they think I'm mean. They think I'm terrible. But it's clear that I should do this. And, um, and you know, if, there's going to be someone who is mad at me. I'd rather it be a person than the Lord. I want to be on the Lord's good side, always. I want to be in fellowship with him, always. So, um, And the whole thing was that, verse 33, when it comes to pass, as surely it will, then they will know that a prophet has been in their midst. Ezekiel will be marked as a true prophet because his prophecies come true. Remember, there are two criteria for a true prophet. Number one is his prophecies all have to come true, 100%. The second is that what he says, the message he proclaims, has to be in line with prior revelation from God. Because false prophets can predict miraculous things that are satanically worked. But they will tell you to worship something else, not the Lord. So those two th requirements have to be in play for a true prophet. So verse 24, these are the people who survived the Babylonian siege. 
Son of man, they who live in these waste places in the land of Israel are saying, Abraham was only one, yet he possessed the land. So to us who are many, the land has been given as a possession. So they're saying, okay, we survived all that, yay. All this land is ours now. There's all dead corpses laying all around. But they think the land is theirs now because they survived this. God, through Ezekiel, says, well, they totally ignore the Mosaic Covenant. They eat meat with the blood in it. They worship idols. They murder. They shed blood. They commit adultery. Should you possess the land? As God is asking him that, you know. If you're doing these things, should you possess the land? Well, the obvious answer is no, you should not. So Abraham was given the land, so they were right about that, but they forgot Genesis 17.1, which we just learned a couple of weeks ago from Dane. And uh, remember what God told Abraham, and Abraham did this. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord God appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. So God was telling Abraham, be in fellowship with me. Walk, Dane said that the Hebrew means walk before my face. The Hebrew is before my face. So, you know, you're intimate with the Lord. You're walking before him. You're submitting to him. Uh, Abraham did that for the most part. And, um, and that is not what they were doing. And so they cannot claim the land. So verses 25 and 26, if they were in fellowship, that would entail submitting to the Mosaic law, which they broke routinely. Then verses 27 and 28, thus you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely those, and this goes through, he will hunt them down wherever they are. If they're in the city, those are the waste places because now it's a pile of rubble. They will fall by the sword. Whoever is outside the city in the open field, the Lord will give to the beasts. Wild creatures will attack them. Remember, the Lord um, put fear of man into animals after the flood. And I think he can take that away at will. You know, In the tribulation period, it talks about judgment by beasts wild animals, you know. I think it's a taking away of that fear of man. Because uh, animals are tougher than we are. They're bigger. They're stronger. They have big teeth. <laughs> you know, a lot of them. Yeah, they could get you if the Lord takes away that fear that they have of man. So that's further discipline will fall with continuation outside of fellowship. And the end result is that Verse 29, then they will know that I am the Lord when I make the land a desolation and a waste because of all their abominations. So that's those left in Jerusalem. Then section D, the people's lives remain unchanged. And this is to the exiles in Babylon. Can I get somebody to read that? That is just 30 through 33. Okay, thank you very much. So, yeah. 
So the exiles were interested in hearing Ezekiel. Verse 30 and 31. As for you, son of man, your fellow citizens, Ezekiel was in Babylon. So these are the Babylonian exiles. Who talk about you by the walls and in the doorways of the houses, speak to one another, each to his brother, saying, Come now and hear what the message is which comes forth from the Lord. So they were interested in what Ezekiel said. So they come, verse 31, As people come, they sit before you as my people and hear your words, but they do not do them. Now, does any of us ever struggle with this? Yes, we do. And it comes up when it makes you forced to do something that you know is going to be unpopular or you just don't want to do because it, you know the Lord is telling you not to do something you like or something like that. You know, we all have our favorite sins. And um, so they're interested in hearing the prophecies, but they did not want to do them. James says the same thing about this. Yeah, James 1, 22 through 25. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, that's what the exiles were doing. He's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror, for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. You know, that's the same thing Jesus said in the upper room. He's washing the disciples' feet and uh, things like that. And he said, you know, if you, if you listen to me and uh, what I teach you, blessed are you if you do them. Hearing them is important because without hearing them, you don't know what to do. You know, you're, you need to hear it. The blessing comes with the doing. The blessing comes with the doing of what is taught. So 32 and 33, yeah, you're to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice, plays well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not practice them. So then when his prophecies come to pass, again, the exiles will know that a prophet has been in their midst, that Ezekiel was a true prophet. Um, they're missing out on blessing in Babylon, too, because they're not returning to the Mosaic law, which is interesting. You know, um, Jeremiah said that the people who went to Babylon were the good figs. The people who stayed in Jerusalem were the rotten figs. So these are the good figs. The good figs are not listening to the Lord either, which... <laughs> And I think that's true of the church. A lot of the times, you know, we, we come to church, we do things, but we, you know, when push comes to shove, we, we draw back many times. We draw back from what the Lord says because he says things that are hard sometimes, like this thing about Ezekiel and his wife, you know. Can you imagine? The Lord was telling Ezekiel to do all sorts of things that were crazy. Laying on his side for 300 days, 360 days or whatever it was, you know, digging through walls, huh? It was a sign to Israel about the time of their sin. And they were going to be punished 
the siege was to go on for the number of days of the years of their sin. And that's what that, and that's what he was doing. And, uh, you know, and digging through the wall, he did all sorts of weird stuff. He cooked his food, famine rations, over poop. The Lord told him to do that. He wanted him to do it over human poop. And Ezekiel resisted. <laughs> he says, Lord, come on. And he said, okay, cow poop. <laughs> you can do it, do it with cow poop. Use that as the fire, fuel for the fire. So he had Ezekiel do all sorts of stuff. And, uh, you know, we do, the Lord asks us to do things that is, that is extremely countercultural. And our flesh resists that. And that's faith building. When we say, okay, I will do it, even though it's, I'm going to be ostracized, perhaps, maybe even from my family, you know, they'll think I'm nutty. Your faith grows when you do it. That's how he builds our faith. So now, let me just outline the next three chapters, which the quarterly does not go over. Chapter 34, Ezekiel is condemning Israel's false shepherds. And the false shepherds is what led, led them into this disaster. Remember King Manasseh? King Manasseh was horrid, man. He was burning his kids. He was setting up idols. He was killing people. He was horrid. What's interesting is that he repented, turned to the Lord, and the Lord gave him the kingdom back, even after all that. But anyway, these are the false shepherds. So verse 11 says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. That is a prophecy of the Messiah coming. King Jesus. So in verse 17 of 34, he says, As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will judge between one sheep and another, between the rams and the male goats. Now this draws to mind Matthew 25, which is not about the Jews. This is about the Jews. Matthew 25 is about the Gentiles, but that's the sheep and the goat judgment. The sheep and the goat judgment at the uh, beginning of the millennium, where Jesus will, the sheep are the believers, which will come into the millennial kingdom. The goats are the unbelievers, which will be executed. And the uh, Jews will be judged in the wilderness the same way at the beginning of the millennium. And we looked at that in Ezekiel 20. So, um, so anyway, there will be a true shepherd, and that will be the Messiah. And so this is the beginning of Ezekiel's prophesying of the restoration here. Verses 23 and 24 of chapter 34, chapter 34, yeah, says, Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. Now David was dead at this time. This was uh, 600 B.C., David lived around 1,000 B.C. So he says, I will set over him one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So David has been demoted here from king to prince because David will be resurrected, and he will rule over Israel as prince. Remember the uh, 
12 apostles, Jesus said, each one would sit on the 12 tribes of Israel thrones, ruling over the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, David will uh, rule over Judah, apparently, as a resurrected person. That will be exciting, exciting times. So chapter 35 is a prophecy against Mount Seir, which is Edom. And the reason they were prophesying, remember, Edom came from Esau. So it was in the family of Abraham, but not in the line of the Messiah. And verse 5, because you have had everlasting enmity and have delivered the sons of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity, at the time of the punishment of the end. So Edom was always attacking Israel all through their history. And so they were judged for that. And that's from Genesis 12.3. God said of Abraham and his descendants, I will bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I will curse. And that happened to Edom. And then chapter 36 is uh, the restoration. Now, chapter 36 is a prophecy um, in plain language, and chapter 37 is the same prophecy kind of in a picture. Chapter 37 is the dry bones vision. Chapter 36 is the same prophecy. So that is of Israel being restored. Verse 22, Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is why he's restoring them. Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. God is not restoring them necessarily because they, he, for their good, for them. He's doing it because he said he would to Abraham. He's being true to himself. So um, the new covenant appears in this chapter. That's verse 26 and 27. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. We have that already. Praise the Lord. And cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And also, he prophesies agricultural prosperity in verse 30. I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the produce of the field, so that you will not receive again the disgrace of famine among the nations. This is in the millennial kingdom. There will be incredible prosperity. No one will be poor. There will be incredible prosperity. I can't imagine the technological advances we will see. It will be amazing. And Israel will have an increased population. Verse 37, Thus says the Lord God, This also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. I will increase their men like a flock. Like the flock, for sacrifices like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feast, so will the waste cities be filled with flocks of men. Then they will know that I am the Lord. That's the end. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this uh, vision of the future we get, um, you give to us. It is very exciting. We will be there. 
and we will see it all. And we're very excited about that. In Jesus' name, amen.